You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, it's time for our legal segment. Joining us right now, he is one of Rhode Island's top attorneys. He's our legal expert, is attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, we're going to start off with the story that uh, it is on folksdepietro.com. Sunday night, uh, Davies Tech released a statement to their community that a teacher that they have there has been um, placed on paid leave. They also mention in the notice... um, inappropriate conduct the state police are investigating there's been some more developments but let's start off take us through this these accusations and there's also by the way a mother who i interviewed has been very very vocal and putting forth voicemail and texts um and we've learned a lot and gleaned a lot from her but this story of a 39 year old teacher at davies and then this 15 year old female student this is this is a different kind of a story. I mean, the teacher, as I understand it, was voted teacher of the year at one time, um, well liked by, I guess, um, the faculty and by students. But this teacher seems to have had what looks to be an obsession, if you will, with a 15-year-old student athlete. Um, I think the young lady is a basketball player. And this teacher, um, I guess, developed sort of a personal relationship of some sort with this student, some of it within the school structure, some of it outside of the school structure. Um, I guess the teacher would take the class to um, basketball games, and then the teacher would take this student out separately and independently from the class after hours, not for a school-related event, not for a field trip. Um, The story develops further that apparently this teacher looks to be, it looks to be like grooming, um, contacting, texting constantly this student about getting together um, nothing overtly sexual, nothing um, suggesting let's let's go to the no-tell no motel, nothing like that, but increasingly inappropriately personal discussions with this student. Um, I, I think that the closest it got to overt comments was a text from the teacher to the students suggesting that the teacher thought the student was horny. Um, The student responded saying, I am not, something along those lines. Now, the student's mother gets a hold of the kid's phone, sees all of these, you know, constant texts, like at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, all hours of the day and night. Um, Teacher saying, you got to call me, we got to talk, I need to hear from you. Um, it seemed like a very obsessive situation. Um, teacher goes to the school, says this is what this teacher is up to. Teacher's put on administrative leave. Uh, I think she's about to be terminated. It looks like she should be terminated. Uh, Mom takes this whole situation to the state police who are investigating. Based on what we know right now, um, it doesn't seem like there's a crime for a number of reasons, unless more comes out. There is nothing about these texts which, by which the student was saying, don't call me, don't contact me, don't text me, I don't want to hear from you. Uh, only at the very end, and I think after the, um, the, the mom and or the state police got involved, but the student was never saying, don't contact me, because had the student said, stop doing this, and the teacher kept doing it, that could have been seen as cyber stalking, which could be seen as a misdemeanor type crime. There's nothing so far to suggest that the teacher ever did anything inappropriate, no, no sexual touching, no touching for sexual gratification. So we don't have that. Um, we don't seem to have any evidence that this student was being forced to do anything against the student's will. Um, it's clearly creepy. It's clearly inappropriate. Um, but I don't see yet any evidence of a crime. Further, there's nothing to suggest 
based on what we know, as this whole situation was developing, because the student doesn't appear to have complained and the mom didn't learn until very late in the game, I don't think there's anything to suggest that the administration was aware that this teacher of the year was pursuing this 15-year-old in what appears to be a very inappropriate manner. Now, unless the, the school knew that this teacher had maybe done this with other students, which seems implausible, um, you know, in the case with the North Kingston coach, um, the school, the the school committee, everyone in sight is being sued because there was some suggestion that the administration was on notice and had told the coach, don't do what you've been doing. And the coach, in some form or fashion, allegedly continued doing it. That puts the administration on notice to take corrective action or remedial measures. And if they don't take measures or if the remedial measures are insufficient, then they could be exposed to civil um, a civil complaint for money damages. That doesn't seem yet to be part of the equation in this case. It, it, it looks like the administration was blindsided, just like everyone else, that this teacher of the year was on the side um, aggressively pursuing contact outside of class hours with this young girl. Um, so this is a developing story. I know you've been on it um, from the get-go. Um, so at this joint, I don't think there's a great civil case. I don't think there's any criminal case unless we learn more in the coming days. And Tim Dodd, that some people may be surprised at that, but it comes down to, especially when we're talking just about the, the Rhode Island State Police, it's my understanding they've even informed the mother, okay, certainly concerning, certainly inappropriate, um, definitely, um, I'll, I'll even ask that, does this sound like, it, it does uh, maybe cause for termination of the teacher, but the, there's a huge difference between cause for termination and then somehow that um, the charges are brought as a crime. That's right. I mean, I think this is a termination case. Um, I don't think I've heard any facts which would suggest that criminal charges would be appropriate. I think if this had gone on much longer, um, this, this relationship between these two was on a collision course to result in something real bad happening or potentially criminal charges developing if the mother hadn't interceded and learned about this um, peculiar situation. Um, I don't think the teacher was looking to stop. It looks like as the child was backing away from the relationship, um, the, the teacher was more adamantly insisting to in text, you must call me. You got to call me now. I got to talk to you. You can't do this to me. Um, so the teacher's um, persistence and or anxiety or whatever you want to call it seemed to be ramping up. And it looks like the mother helped to nip a really bad situation in the bud before yeah. it got even more out of control. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Lunch, dinner, drinks in the lounge, especially this time of year. So much going on. They always have a nice crowd right there. Full bar, large dining area right there in the lounge easy to get to whether it's lunch or dinner a great meal is waiting for you at the lodge pub and eatery think of this since 1994 that's right celebrating the big anniversary this year i'll see you at the lodge pub and eatery 40 breakneck hill road in lincoln we're speaking with our legal expert it's attorney tim dodd Tim, the Smiley administration, mayor of Providence, they've announced they're going to have a whistleblower hotline. Um, I would imagine there's some different legalities that enter into something like this. What, what are Tim Dodd's thoughts on this new potential whistleblower hotline the city of Providence is going to implement? Well, a couple of things. Number one, 
if it's an anonymous hotline, the potential for abuse, um, I think, would be significant. You know, I have a problem with one of my coworkers. I anonymously um, called this hotline suggesting all sorts of things that may not be true, which then put my coworker under a microscope for investigation. Um, so I think there's a potential for abuse. Second thing is, if an individual has a legitimate whistleblower case, and typically whistleblower cases develop when an employee learns that there might be financial um, uh, improprieties, uh, maybe criminal, maybe not criminal, but learns of things that are happening Many whistleblower cases, if they are presented correctly, can result in the whistleblower um, being awarded um, um, compensation for being the whistleblower. So let's assume that I have knowledge as an employee that there's some financial misappropriation regarding some program from which federal funds are obtained. And I just contact this whistleblower hotline anonymously or whatever, and an investigation starts. By doing this through this telephone number, I might be, as the whistleblower, um, screwing myself out of the potential to get significant compensation. Right for being the reporter of the, of the improper or possibly criminal activity. So anyone who thinks that they have a whistleblower type situation should probably contact legal counsel before they just call this hotline because they might be reporting the improper or potentially improper activity, but, um, losing out on opportunities that they might have as the reporter of the, of the impropriety. But I think even more fundamentally, I think there's a problem for false reporting, which results in false invest, you know, investigation of something false and putting people improperly subjected to uh, scrutiny that's not warranted. I, I, I'm very uncomfortable with the whole concept. Folks, again, we're speaking with our legal expert. It's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, the uh, drama continues with Skyline. Now the city of Providence has rejected lease transfers to Skyline at Water Place and going ahead with an eviction trial. What is your? What can you tell us about this case? Well, the reporting is simply that the Smiley administration has rejected the lease transfer um, to this East Greenwich company. But without really saying anything more, they say vaguely that there's other entities that might be interested in acquiring the lease that's um, allegedly been breached by the Skyline people. And the city's looking to go forward to complete the eviction trial. Um, I believe it's scheduled for March 1st. They don't really say why they rejected um, the, the um, transfer to this East Greenwich um, corporation does the corporation have ties to the skyline people is it a front is it a paper corporation uh, is it a corporation that's had other problems what's their financial stability um, what's their track record in running this type of an operation there's many questions which need to be answered to determine whether or not the entity that this was going to be transferred to is qualified, competent, and financially um, viable to take on this type of responsibility. The announcement from the administration didn't seem to touch on any of those issues, simply saying, we've rejected this transfer, we're going to trial. So we can only speculate as to what led to this transfer um, um, not being approved. So there's I, plenty of legitimate reasons that the administration would be concerned about who's going to be, who this is going to be transferred to. But from my understanding, we don't yet have the whys and the wherefores as to why this particular transfer, proposed transfer was rejected. 
Huh. Um, that will, uh, folks, continue to follow. That can seemingly just continues to be an ongoing uh, saga with the situation at, at Skyline. Tim Dodd, this next story, and uh, it, it is the beginning of Lent, but you don't see this every day. Should a Florida man's church confession be evidence in a criminal case? These cases come up from time to time. Um, typically, and, and there's all sorts of different scenarios for um, this type of situation. Let's assume an individual, a Roman Catholic individual, goes to confession one-on-one -on -one with a priest and uh, confesses to conduct which um, could be seen as criminal or past criminal conduct. Uh, there are exceptions, but typically the, the priest is bound by that confidentiality of the priest's penitent um, exception. Um, there are certain circumstances, I believe, if the person in there is admitting to a capital crime like rape or murder, that the priest does have some leeway. But this is different. This is a totally different situation. The priest penitent, penitent thing um, gets very tricky. This isn't even a close call in my view. This gentleman um, allegedly had inappropriately touched a young woman in a sexual manner. The father of the young girl um, learns of this, and somehow there's like this, this uh, congregation has sort of a council of elders, if you will, and the guy who's alleged to have sexually inappropriately touched this young girl is brought in and um, coerced to confess to what he did. And he goes in front of a number of people, like uh, this church council, and says, you know, I'm going to admit what I did. I, I inappropriately touched this young girl. And the people say, that's not enough. You've got to tell us exactly what you did. Give us the details. What exactly did you do? If you want forgiveness, you've got to tell us what happened. And he does. And he does, knowing that there's a video camera recording everything he's saying. So in my view, there's no expectation that this is like a, a priest penitent situation. Uh, there's no confidentiality. He's saying this in front of a whole group of people, and he knows that what he's saying, which is essentially a confession, is being videoed. The video is turned over to the police who use this confession and um, initiate a, a prosecution against him. Uh, defense counsel moves to exclude the video on the basis that there's that this confessor had a presumption or an expectation of confidentiality because he was confessing in a church setting. Uh, I don't think that will hold water. The, the decision has been appealed because there's no expectation of confidentiality. Um, this thing was videoed. <laughs> How do you think it's going to stay confidential if he's allowing a video of it to be made? Yeah. Um, so it's an unusual case, John. It doesn't come up very often. But I think at the end of the day, the reviewing court will determine that this is um, evidence which should not be excluded at the time of trial. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead, our legal expert attorney, Tim Dodd, right here on The John DePietro Show. AJ, drywall, plaster, home improvement, call them today for a free quote. You can also find them on Facebook, 401-323-9252. 323-9252, AJ, drywall, plasters, home improvement, frame to finish basements. What a difference it'll make in your basement. Acoustic ceilings, look how beautiful your ceiling could be. New homes, additions, also commercial rehabs, painting, remodeling contact them today it's a family-run business aj drywall plaster home improvements 
call for a free quote what a difference they'll make in your home your ceilings floors basements 401-323-9252 what a difference beautiful walls and ceilings 401-323-9252 you can also find them on facebook it's aj drywall plaster and home improvements for your home or business we're speaking with our legal expert it's attorney tim dot tim going through some of the other stories multi-agency investigation launched this north providence church fire again uh we don't know exactly what happened here but you know they have apparently video of someone with a gas can i think this is one of those situations again we don't know the motivation here but but uh arson is a very serious crime and on top of that the the uh, black lives matter they're now calling that this should be investigated as a potential hate crime since it's a ch- because of it being a church and and i think that that aspect of the of the investigation is appropriate, John. I, I think the feds are already looking at this thing. And you're right. There's two problems for if they can find the um, individual who uh, started this fire. This was started with gasoline um, to try to burn down this church. Um, that would be considered first-degree arson. Uh, First-degree arson is one of the capital cases. Um, it could have, I believe, up to life in prison. But if a person committing first-degree arson is convicted, or even in a plea bargain situation, that's a multiple-year prison situation. Um, the court system and society takes arson cases very seriously because with the potential for property damage, the um, potential for exposing um, firefighters and other emergency personnel to extreme dangers and peril in, you know, responding to um, a fire. And if the motivation of this person to burn down this church has anything to do with the fact that this was basically a a church with a black uh, congregation, then you get into um, federal hate crimes, which could really up the criminal exposure for whoever the idiot is who chose to do this. Apparently, they have somebody on video. I'm not sure how clear the video is. I'm not sure if it provides enough to identify the, um, the perpetrator of this. But what this individual has done exposes him to significant jeopardy for uh, state criminal charges, the arson, and federal criminal charges for uh, the hate crime, if that can be established. Again, if we find out who this person is, then you look at that person's, you know, social media footprint. Do they go online, you know, making disparaging comments about this church or its membership or, you know, people certain people in general that all has to be developed but this looks like the start of what could be a very significant criminal prosecution tim dodd i wanted to give you a chance to weigh in on uh the whole business of the special counsel their report and then how they finished it uh by saying that they described president biden as a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory well I'm not sure that quite cuts it. I, I I know Biden, President Biden's supporters are saying this was an unnecessary uh, swipe, uh, which is not um, supported by the facts to suggest that he's an elderly guy with a poor memory. Um, that conclusion was made, I guess, based upon the four or five hours worth of, um, I'm not sure if it's a video or just a recording, of an interview which was conducted with president biden so let's let's see the video let's hear the tape let's see if he was forgetful let's see how he answered these questions um you know we see many politicians on both sides of the political spectrum when they're in the hot seat um they they have no memory they don't recall they can't recollect um 
it's it's invoked so often in so many cases that I think people get cynical as to whether it's a true answer that I don't remember, I don't recall, or whether it's a dodge. Separate and apart from that, the documents that Joe Biden had in his garage with his Corvette, um, my understanding is if they're documents that were taken while he was vice president, that vice presidents and presidents are both covered under the Presidential Records Act. And apparently this special prosecutor concluded that once this evidence was discovered, um, Biden was fully cooperative, gave the stuff over, said he misunderstood or he forgot or whatever negligence he was claiming. That distinguishes Biden's response to all this from Trump's response. Trump basically said, I think I have a right to keep this stuff. The Fed said, no, you don't. You got to turn it over. We're going to subpoena it. Trump then says, okay, I've complied with the subpoena. I've given you guys everything. And it turns out that he hadn't given them everything. So he and or his subordinates were misrepresenting the facts that they had given over everything where they hadn't. And really, I think that's the distinguishing aspect here. Uh, Donald Trump is being prosecuted in part for having the records, but in part for um, misleading, lying to, or misrepresenting his compliance with the uh, subpoenas that were issued and his cooperation with the feds. And again, the classic case is Martha Stewart. She went to jail for um, securities fraud. And it was not so much what she did in terms of buying and selling securities, but in lying to the federal investigators. That's what sent her to jail. So it doesn't appear that Biden held anything back, lied, misrepresented. He was allegedly fully cooperative. And I think that distinguishes his conduct from Donald Trump's conduct. The only other thing which I haven't read the report, so I can't be sure, but my recollection was that some of the material that Joe Biden had in his garage um, went back to his days in the Senate. Now, if he took um, classified materials home from when he was a senator, senators have no protection under the Presidential Records Act. So if he took records home, which were classified while he was a senator, he wouldn't be protected by anything except potentially a statute of limitations um, because it's so long ago. But I, I don't recall any at least news blurbs coming out about whether any of his records went back to his Senate days because there would be no defense to that ex except a potential statute of limitations. Um, I'd like to see the video or hear the tape of uh, what Joe Biden had to say so that, you know, we can conclude, you know, did he sound like a doddering old man with a poor memory um, or not? Um, if that's the basis of this um, special prosecutor's conclusion, and now Biden and his people are pushing back, um, it's only one way to clear the air. Tim Dodd, finally, the much-anticipated Karen Reed case that was set to begin March 12th. Both the prosecution and the defense have contacted the judge, and they feel they they will need more time, saying that that start date is not feasible. What normally happens in a situation like this? The, the, the judge will give them more time. Um, it doesn't appear that either side has been dragging their feet or not paying attention to this case, and now on the cusp of trial saying, oh, oh judge, we didn't do this, we didn't do that, we need more time. There's, there's a number of things that are still outstanding. Apparently, the defense is waiting for DNA test results on hair samples, which were taken from the uh, rear taillight of Karen Reed's um, SUV to determine whose hair was um, um, allegedly embedded in the cracked uh, taillight of her vehicle. Um, there's certain phone records which the court has um, granted the defense to get um, in terms of 
um, correspondence or communications between uh, police and or the prosecutors and certain witnesses. That hasn't been produced yet. The defense has a motion pending to remove um, the DA's office from handling this case at all because of pros alleged prosecutorial misconduct. Um, there's a motion by the defense to dismiss the charges in their entirety based upon prosecutorial misconduct. All of these motions are pending. They have to be resolved before this case could go to trial. And it seems to me the case can't go forward if legitimate discovery requests um, remain unanswered, such as the response to the request for DNA material. Um, the case couldn't be tried. It would be improper. And if the judge says, I'm not waiting, we're going forward, that's going to constitute reversible error if the judge said, no, we're starting on March 1st and well, I don't care and let the chips fall. If Karen Reed were to be found guilty, there'd clearly be um, reversible error in that case. So this won't be. This case can't start anytime soon. There's too many loose ends. Folks, he's our legal uh, analyst and expert. It's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, excellent job as always, and we'll talk to you again. Thanks, John. Take care. AEP Services. They take great pride in installing fences of all kinds: vinyl, wood, aluminum. Chain link experience, quality, integrity. Call AEP Services today for a quality fence, home or business 401 228 7190. 401 228 7190. Residential fence, commercial fence, steel, wood guard, rail, they have it all. Beautiful aluminum product, decorative landscape. It adds a lot to it for your stunning property. Call the experts today. AEP Services, 401-228-7190. Residential or commercial, why not enjoy your backyard, a little privacy, or maybe keep a pet or young children inside. Remember, they also have fences. They're resilient, water-resistant. Call today, 401-228-7190. Free quote, AEP Services. The Fence Experts, 401 228 7190. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. Horrific story out of Pawtucket. Got four people arrested Sunday morning. You want the real details? Log on the website depetro.com. This father, now he stands accused manslaughter. Uh, we've interviewed several family members. I also obtained the police report. This is the death of his one-year-old son, Sen, um, I believe it's Santino, um, and Santiago. And so the Pataka police, the information they have, and again, this is all on the website, petro.com they get called Sunday morning. And the address is this place in Pawtucket uh, on Arthur Street. And... They were dispatched to 95 Arthur Street. There's an apartment there. Now, there's several people that are living in the apartment. Keep in mind, my sources have told me immigration is looking to talk to at least two of the individuals. So apparently what happened was, it's a little unusual, but you have um, this one person named Carla, and she's she is uh, on the lease with this uh Joao Resendez, that's the father. And the mother of the child is this Caroline Lido. Now, from what I understand, immigration wants to talk to, to both of them. But anyhow, so apparently on Sunday morning, this Carla, she also uh, lives there. And you have this aunt, Daniela, who I believe is... Uh, in some kind of relationship with this Carla person. So anyhow, two of the women, they leave Sunday morning to go to the laundromat. While they're there, the father of the one-year-old is texting the mother um, that 
something happened to the one-year-old infant son. Don't tell anyone. He's not breathing. So she initially said that her demeanor was very different. She went to get an energy drink, leaves the laundromat, comes back, was asking what wrong. Um, she finally told her, he's telling me my son is dead. He doesn't want me to tell anyone. So she says, well, maybe sometimes he, he kids around. So then they're trying to reach, apparently there's the other person, adult, I know this sounds a little confusing. At the apartment, they can't reach her. She's maybe sleeping. And then when they finally get there, the, the little one-year-old is on the floor. And then they attempt CPR. And then they have to call the Pawtucket first responders. So I'm just reading right from the police report. Carolina then responded to the hallway due to a language barrier. Carla assisted in translating. Carolina gave Carla her cell phone and she began reading the text between now they were communicating in Portuguese these people are from Portugal I did a Facebook live last night and people from Portugal were coming in to the chat so we were the international one last night so she's reading the text that she got and this is with the police come home urgent don't say nothing then read I can't talk right now what's going on and then he says Santiago, call me. Don't leave me hanging. What's going on? And then he, but he's not breathing. But initially the father was saying he's not breathing. Don't tell anyone about this. So they then go, they're trying to reach the other adult who's just sleeping at the apartment, who apparently, according to the police report, had her phone on mute. Now, the uncle was communicating uh, with me last night and there's a number of people that their information is ex was exactly right saying the mother had gone to do laundry and then left the father with the one-year-old but he is he is an illegal and you know this is another example folks where the state continues to be a magnet for these types of individuals so um he would right now very very serious charges now again he's charged with manslaughter these charges could be upgraded uh no question about that but as of right now and i want to credit you know that's a tough scene for the Pawtucket police and the first responders so the the father j-o-a-o resendez that's the father he in fact um has been charged with manslaughter three counts and, and uh, excuse me manslaughter and then three counts of child second degree child abuse now the uncle claims he was choking the one-year-old it's it's just a horrific story and how someone could do that to their little a little one-year-old infant is just beyond me but so the the women are all being charged um, initially we had the word came down that more of them were home but it would seem that there was only one of them that was in the apartment and I think they there's also other children that live there so they're all living there in the apartment and by the way they were all planning to go to Florida they were planning on going to a trip to uh, to Florida and I think it was supposed to be today they were all supposed to be going and it, it's just horrific so you're going to get just some of the the basics but what you need to know is you know the the first responders are put into very difficult situations where you have you know there's language barriers and various people are living here and there and he's renting an apartment through one and then somebody's sister starts living there and the next thing you know she's having a child and and um and it's a total disaster but um horrific what happened with this little one-year-old infant folks you're listening to the john DePietro show <music> your oil needs make it henry oil call henry oil today 
521-0200. Reliable, affordable fuel oil delivery. Call Henry Oil today. Fuel oil, diesel, gasoline delivery. It's Henry Oil. Residential, commercial fuel oil delivery since 1947. They also have budget plans, service contracts, lack, lock and cap pricing. You can depend on Henry Oil. Call them today. 401 521-0200. Serving most of Rhode Island and southeastern Mass. we got a long way to go with winter. Make sure that tank is filled. Call Henry Oil today. 401-521-0200. Henry Oil. A local, family-run business since 1947 that you can depend on. For all your oil needs, call Henry Oil today. 401-521-0200. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. Most state workers got a day off. Governor McKee gave most state workers a paid day off during the snowstorm. I want to give credit to Kathy Gregg of the Providence Journal. What happened to working remotely? Governor Dan McKee issued an executive order. The vast majority of state employees are paid day off ahead of the snowstorm. Declaration of disaster emergency. Just ridiculous. The governor late Monday afternoon issued the executive order being tractor trailers. Okay, that makes sense. All state offices closed on Tuesday. All non-essential personnel would be relieved from duty during this time. Essential personnel determined by their agencies should report to work or remain at work. The tractor trailer ban was lifted at 226. The notice about the closing of state offices went out to state employees from the director of the Department of Administration around 5 o'clock. By then, many state workers who worked from home during the pandemic had already left at 4 o'clock. Without knowing, they may want to take their computer's other work essentials home with them. Asked why the McKee administration waited until so late in the day, keep in mind, he did a 1.30 press conference. This could have, put a, this could have been put in motion before everyone left for the day. Why did they wait so late and then choose to give state employees a paid day off rather than invoking the option of them taking a crude personal leave day? Given the timing of the storm and the anticipated snowfall, closure was necessary to ensure the safety of state employees. I am so tired of these people talking about safety. The decision was made late Monday afternoon and resulted in the executive order. Well, but at 1.30... In the afternoon, he was announcing that this was going to be a horrific storm. Now, depending on where you are, it wasn't that bad. But the point is, they had several hours where they could have made told state workers, you, you can, you're going to work from home tomorrow. You don't have to come in, but you're going to work remotely instead of a paid day off. The state's adverse weather policy allows the closing of state offices, but also allows the state to keep state offices open but in consideration of the timing of the storm to allow for employees to travel to or from work safely, blah, blah, blah. You know, neither the governor's office, the department administration answered why state employees were not told to work from home rather than giving them a paid day off. You know what? Because he just wanted to give them a paid day off. This is someone who is not serving the taxpayers. Governor McKee is unfit for office. He is not going to straighten out the bridge. He has no explanation or any sense of how to handle this bridge situation so now also the journal broken bridge parts specks of blue paint how long was bridge at risk before closure state this is um mark reynolds state transportation official spotted light spotlight the importance of broken tie down rods when they closed it on december 11th more than two months later it still isn't clear how long the rods had been broken Appearing in an oversight committee, Peter Alvedi told state lawmakers various forensic analysts already underway. Such look-back questions. Other investigations launched by Department of Justice is looking at the pins themselves, track their history to see what happened. So, but this business of the blue paint, in the meantime, specks of bright blue paint make for a tempting line of inquiry. The paint specks are visible in a DOT photograph of one of the broken tie-down rods, which Alvedi refers to as pins. 
The tiny blue dots are on a surface of the rod to expose when it broke. Obviously, for such paint to come to rest on that particular surface, the rod had to be broken at the time that the paint was applied. So if DOT does not know when the rod was broken, does the agency know when the broken rod was exposed to the paint? <laughs> These are all very, very good questions. Another photo has a December date on it. They posted online. It shows the same rod in proximity to a nearby steel bridge component. These components are painted blue, and their blue hue of these nearby components match those of the specks on the broken surface. So when were the nearby bridge components painted? DOT photo says the tie rod in question is at Pier 7. In an email exchange, they say the components in the span of Pier 6 and 7 were painted between mid-October and mid-December. They were then asked if the department could narrow down the time frame of the work less than three months. They won't reply. Time frame that they provided for the paint work runs through the bridge shutdown during the first half of December. Under the time frame, the paint specs could have appeared on the broken rod just before DOT distributed the close-up photo of the broken rod. In that scenario, the blue paint specs are not evidence that the tie rod was broken for months as vehicles drove over the bridge millions of times. So oversight hearing at the Monday hearing, lawmakers heard from Jeffrey Klein, Director of Structural Engineering at a firm that reported the bridge issues to DOT in December. Uh, State Senator Sam Zuria asked how the company, um, VHB, decided to look at the span at that time in December. Klein told him a contractor was doing some painting work as part of the design-build activities. We were out there. They said they need to determine any additional steel repairs were necessary after the painting activity. Klein's comments added some additional context regarding painting on Span 7. Not clear when the broken tie-down rod became a speckled tie-down rod. Now, a lot of this is obviously very inside. <laughs> I don't remember any talk about pins or rods or, you know, it's obviously complicated. But none of this is solving the problem. As you can imagine, the traffic with the bad weather is just in the snow and the ice just makes it horrific even under the best of circumstances you have heavy heavy delay in traffic now when you add in um these types of you know weather conditions it it certainly just makes it even you know as you can imagine makes it even worse the real answer they don't have an answer they're telling people just try to avoid it uh, it's not leadership. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. You know, it's interesting right now. Um, the Team Biden, they're going to try to go into efforts to spin this, that he's fine, that he can serve, and they're going to try to go in the offensive with President Trump. I don't think it's going to work. And I'll tell you what else is is going to hurt, I believe, is going to hurt the Biden effort is the vice president, Vice President Kamala Harris. She did an exclusive with the Wall Street Journal where she essentially came out and said that she is ready, ready to lead. And I, that is not a message. I don't think that that is a message that is helpful to them in any way, because I believe that the vice president is even she's even more of a liability so something else very significant happened, and that is that President Biden lost the New York Times. Their editorial board unleashed, they call it an astonishing broadside, warning of a dark moment as it runs back-to-back -back opinion pieces, knifing the elderly president after the damning special counsel report. So the New York Times, the question is not if Biden should step aside, it's how. Uh, Maureen Dowd, Mr. President, ditched the stealth about health. So, and when you start to lose the New York Times, the challenges of an aging president, I mean, that says it all. They are not going to come to his aid. This is uh, a train wreck. I don't know where this leads. Kamala Harris, the vice president, saying that she is ready to step into the role. Now, I don't think that's the imaging that they want. So their new strategy, as I mentioned, is 
they believe that they are just going to go on the offensive. And also, there's a good piece in political. First of all, again, the vice president talked to the Wall Street Journal, gave them the exclusive. But Politico has a piece. Get used to it. Biden isn't going anywhere. They write the GOP fantasy crowd so accustomed to a conspiracy. They're betting the Democrats will switch candidates at the last minute. Have they actually paid attention to politics? You know, I'm hearing that from people. And and there there are rules in place that people just shrug it off. It's kind of like the people that say that Governor McKee should be impeached. We don't have an impeachment clause in the state. Well, he should be recalled. Well, you can't recall him unless he's been convicted of a crime. So the, the political piece says the Republican refrain goes something like this. Democrats know we can't win. They're going to replace him on top of the ticket. Anyone around politics has heard it. And the assured predictions have reached a crescendo following the release of the special counsel report. On Sunday, even Nikki Haley said, my bet is 30 days from now. I don't think Joe Biden's going to be the nominee. She and the Republicans are about to look as bad as those who took the 49ers. So in this piece, they talk about it's just it's not as easy as people think. And I've been hearing this for a while. They go to the convention. Biden comes out on stage with him is Gavin Newsom. He says, OK, here's your new president. It's, it's not going to work that way. Um, Democrats had their back to the political piece. They had their chance to speak out against Biden running for reelection. They failed to do so. So, no, they now poised to intervene. It, it's not happening. And I've heard these people, they're going to get Michelle Obama. They, they, there is, it's actually too late to make a switch. And there was a moment when he could have stepped, stepped aside. He is the nominee. So, and they go back to the piece. They also talk about, you know, LG, LBJ did in fact, but they have changed the dynamics of how the president is chosen within the parties. They also talk about consider the less most powerful figure. Bernie Sanders had a warm relationship with Biden. Um, he calls young Democrat parents when they're with him. Telephones give them kudos. Don't discount how much this means to politician, politicians. But this business of secretly he's just going to step down and then hand it off. It just I, I know people think that that's going to happen, but. I've been hearing this since January of 21. It's three years later, and he's still there. So, and now you have Vice President Harris saying she's ready to serve. I don't think Biden is going anywhere. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, lunch dinner drinks in the lounge especially this time of year so much going on they always have a nice crowd right there full bar large dining area right there in the lounge easy to get to whether it's lunch or dinner a great meal is waiting for you at the lodge pub and eatery think of this since 1994 that's right celebrating the big anniversary this year i'll see you at the lodge pub and eatery 40 breakneck hill road in Lincoln.